Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Adrian Burton, the Health Resources and Services Administrations in the Department of Health and Human Services, Chief Information Officer and Director of Office of IT. Adrian, this is a return engagement for you. Welcome back to the program. Thank you, Jason. So we're talking specifically today uh, a little different than our normal Ask the CIO. We're going to talk about a data platform that you guys won a very prestigious award for. The industry group ACT, IACT, gave you guys at HRSA a Igniting Innovation, the top award in their in their annual award ceremony. Uh, we're going to get to that in a second, but I want to just start at the beginning and talk a little bit about this data analytics platform. What is it? How does it work? Give me Give me a little background about it. So we developed our modern data analytics platform to create more data-driven decisions across HRSA. So our mission is to provide health care to people who are geographically isolated, people who are economically or medically vulnerable. So in 2017, we awarded approximately $90 billion in grants to support our 90 programs. And it's helpful to understand that to understand what we're doing with this modern data analytics platform, because this platform is a framework to automate the collection of data, automate data analysis, and improve data reporting for many of these programs. So you probably want to know, like, why is this important? This is important because 26 million people in the United States use our health center program. Over 500,000 people use our Ryan White programs. And so this is just two of our 90 programs. So our solution is innovative because we're automating the collection of health center data. This reduces the burden for more than 1,400 grantees that provide service delivery at 10,400 sites. So this improves data quality and use. It helps us to better describe the impact of the health center program. And so this is just one data collection, but we have others. So our solution is innovative because we've automated the data analysis. We brought in hundreds of fields from grant planning, grant application, review, award, and post-award phases. So post-award data would also include performance data. So we've organized the data in domains such as finance, risk, and performance to meet our business needs. So some of the data can be used between programs, and some of this data is specific to one particular program. So we have that flexibility where we now have our data integrated instead of having our data in silo instances. So we have self-reporting tools. This is another thing that makes it um, innovative because it allows our users the ability to discover, draw, and share insight amongst their teams. This has improved both the speed and confidence in decision-making. In the past, what we used were static reports. However, no one static report could answer all the different questions from executives. So what we did is we now have the self-service capabilities where business users can actually generate the ad hoc reports and dashboards that they need for their programs. And then our data analytics platform is consistent with the president's management agenda for results-oriented accountability for grants, especially since we give out $9 billion in grants. It improves the customer experience with uh, federal service because not only do our project officers in HRSA use the system, but our grantees use the system as well. It improves outcomes through federal spending, and it increases data accountability and transparency. And it aligns with the HHS Reimagine initiative to use data as an asset. And I must 
put in a plug for um, FATAR because we used, we made a conscious decision through our FATAR processes to select one enterprise solution to increase adoption and improve program impact across the organization. All right, there's a ton there to unpack. Let me back up a little bit and start at the beginning maybe. So really what this platform does is it simplifies and gives you more information when it comes to this $90 billion in grants because previously, and I'm just trying to make sure I put a finer point on this, all this data existed, but existed in silos, existed in different systems. And if, if your boss or, or the secretary of HHS said, I want to know all, all the things that Hearst is doing, those data calls would be just arduous, I could only imagine. Exactly. Yep. The impetus to do this was what? Like, what caused you guys to say, let's bring all this data together? Was it just technology met process met time? Or was there something else that led you down this path? Well, for us, we're always trying to reduce our grantee burden. So we worked um, with our Bureau of Primary Health Care to work on an initiative called the UDS Modernization, where we collect um, data annually from our various health centers. What we wanted to do was to reduce the burden to grantees. So we worked on the capabilities so that we could help automate the collection of the data and the validation and also making the data more available to our programs, our management, as well as to the general public. One of the things that when you put together a, a data analytics tool and platform like this, you have to deal with all the side issues, the taxonomies, right? The if you say this kind of data, if you you know, let's let's pick on healthcare data, you could define a, a checkup one way, and I could define a checkup another way. So you had to come to a, a set of standards. Walk me through maybe the process that you guys went through to develop the platform. Were, were there standards in place, and so that was the quote unquote easy part, or did you have to come up with standards first and then start with the user needs and, and walk me through the process? Well, we first started off were the uh, program needs, and we piloted um, one particular bureau within HRSA, our Bureau of Primary Healthcare. And what we've done is we created a proof of concept. And then once we develop that proof of concept, we can then use that proof of concept or that capability. After we did the proof of concept, we're doing a pilot, and then we're going to be implementing into production. And so once we implement for that particular program, we can reuse that capability for other programs as well. And then another thing is with the implementation of our business intelligence capability, once we implemented data marts for, for instance, our grants management group, we could leverage some of the data in that for some of the other bureaus and offices when they later had requests for different dashboards. So we're able to reuse a lot and build on what we already had as opposed to starting from scratch for each dashboard. So let me clarify one thing. This data analytics platform, where is it in the process? Are you in production across the board or are you in production in in specific offices? We're in production across the board. So what we have is we have a system called our electronic handbook system. It has a a core capability and then we have different capability based on the different programs. So we have capabilities for our health center programs. We have capabilities for our HIV and AIDS Ryan White program. We have maternal and child health programs. All of those different programs programs have different modules that integrate with this core system. And so once we implemented the business intelligence capability in the core systems, it made it available for the other programs to be able to utilize. And I know we're going to talk technology a little bit later, but before we get there, that really is the big win here. Not so much that you were able to put together a a data platform using business intelligence. I think that happens all the time in the government and the the private sector. But the fact is you were able to, to have this core platform, then you could just 
you could customize only a little bit off of versus everybody wanting to customize their own thing. I mean, to me, that that's the big innovation. Well, that, and it also drives adoption. I mean, when you look at HRSA, we have a lot of uh, public health analysts. And so you don't want to have multiple types of business intelligence tools because that just makes it harder to get to the end result, which is the data, right? And so what we did is we implemented one tool, made sure that everyone that needed to use the tool was trained so that we could increase adoption and get the outcomes as opposed to having two and three and four different business intelligence tools. How do you deal with the fact is if the maternal and child health program person who runs it says, no, I, I need something different or I need this very special thing? Is, is Did you say to them, OK, that's fine. That will come to you in the module. But what's your core needs? Is, is that really where you kind of drew the line is we're just going to focus on the core needs initially and then add the modules later? Well, when we implemented the system, we made sure that it could be scalable right, so that it had the flexibility to not only support one of the programs, but all the programs that utilize the system. And what's happened is is that when one of the bureaus will see some of the dashboards from another bureau, then they'll come up with ideas about different dashboards that they would like to see for their programs. So there's a lot of synergy across the different bureaus and offices because they see the capabilities. And because it's implemented in the core, the underlying capability is there. What we just need to do is to tailor a dashboard to meet their specific program needs. So really what you're doing is the, when you talk about modules, the module is in almost a, a dashboard how the data is being pulled because it all lives in a big lake or an ocean or whatever you guys call it. Is that Do I understand that correctly? Right. We have different data marts, and we're able to integrate the different data marts depending on what the requests are. And then because everyone is using the same enterprise system, then if we need reports across the different programs, we have that capability as well. Talk a little bit about the technology behind this. Obviously, we're talking APIs and cloud, but but give me a, a you know the fifty thousand foot view of how you guys develop this and the technology. We have three pillars of our technology platform. So we have the data collection part where we created a highly reusable and extensible framework to collect data through multiple mechanisms such as the web, Excel, and offline HTML files. This framework is built on a .NET Core. Angular, and REST APIs. So the system stores the, the data in a um, JSON format. Um, we use Flex Rules, which is integrated with the data collection systems to ensure data quality and integrity. And this data collection framework also supports qualitative reviews to ensure data quality. And so when we implemented this capability for one of the programs, we also made sure that it was implemented in a reusable manner so that we can reuse most of those components for other potential needs within the organization, and it can be potentially shared across different agencies or even between across HHS as well. So then the data processing engine is integrated with the data collection system to transform JSON data using a combination of ETL and APIs to create data sets. And we implemented Tableau using REST APIs to provide embedded data analytics in our grants performance reporting system. We've created dashboards for senior management to provide data-driven insights, and we've provided access to business users to generate reports of their choice using self-service. And so this has promoted collaboration across the organizations. And the one word you didn't say through all of that is the cloud. And or actually, the two things you didn't say was the cloud and, and Agile or DevOps. I imagine both of those play a role in, in this effort. 
Absolutely. So we haven't implemented this in the cloud. That would be something that we want to do in the future, but we definitely use Agile, and we've implemented DevOps, and we've also started implementing some microservices as well. Is there any reason why you guys decided not to go in the cloud initially? A lot of times when you hear kind of new development, everyone says the cloud, the cloud, the cloud. Was there a security concern or just you already had the capability in your data center? What was the reason why maybe you didn't go to the cloud right away? Well, we had the capability in our data center, and the main thing was really about the data because it's less about the technology as opposed to the mission, providing the information to our programs so that they can help improve those programs. When you talk about DevOps and Agile and microservices, is that a way to kind of keep the development happening at, at, a, at a good pace, meaning if one organization sees something on the dashboard that they want to add to their dashboard, that's where those either a APIs come in, but more more generally the DevOps and Agile come in? Absolutely. Was this a big change for HRSA? Have you, had you guys been doing Agile and DevOps approaches, microservices? I know, for instance, I talked to the former FDA CIO, Todd Simpson, and he was just getting into microservices. Is this something that's new for you guys, or is, or is it something you guys have been doing for, for you know a year or more? We've been doing it probably for about the last year and a half, we've been implementing microservices to enhance some other capabilities within our uh, performance reporting system, such as we implemented a, a new homepage to make the system more uh, user-friendly for our grantees. So we've been implementing just different types of technologies to improve that um, experience for our grantees and to reduce that burden. Because some of our grantees may only use our system once a year, and every time they get into our system, they have to learn how to use the system. So we provide capabilities such as Smart Assist that will help walk them through how to do certain things. We've also created um, different video, animated videos to help prov uh, to provide um, self-help to our um, grantees so they don't actually have to call our contact center for assistance. They have the information right, you know, readily available. We've been doing a lot of modernization and improvements to our system, and this modern data analytics platform is just a component of some of the things that we've been doing at HRSA. We have to take a break. My guest is Adrian Burton, the Health Resources and Services Administration's CIO in the Department of Health and Human Services. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Adrian Burton, the Health Resources and Services Administration CIO in the Department of Health and Human Services. In the beginning of the conversation, you went through all the differences and changes you guys did through the platform, easier use of data, interoperability, standardized reports. But let me step back from that and talk about maybe the benefits more broadly. What's the difference that this platform is making for your grantees? What's the difference is this making not just for the IT side, but for the managers, for the program people, for the executives at HRSA? You know, step back and give me the broader sense of, of the, how important this data uh, analytics platform has been. So our HRSA administrator, Dr. George Sagunas, is very data-driven, and our modern data analytics platform offers many different benefits. It supports better mission outcomes, so HRSA senior management can use data-driven insights and dashboards to inform grant policies, identify areas of need, allocate resources with organizational alignment for better delivery of services to more than 26 million patients across the nation. It um, reduces operational risk because the HRSA staff, they can better conform to statutory requirements and prevent uh, fraud, waste, and abuse through integration of risk management techniques in the programs, oversight, as well as integrity practices. It increases the speed of 
uh, the delivery of this data, meaning that we last year we generated approximately 170 ad hoc queries requiring IT support. So what happened is the business would say, I need this. And in some instances, we would have to go work with our contractor to develop some of these reports. And it would take, you know, a week, maybe more, depending on what the um, uh, request was for that particular report. But now our solution reduces the time to insight by 40% because folks can go and actually play around with the data. So as opposed to making a decision and then you decide after you went and told the contractor that you wanted this type of report and you say, well, what if I added this extra field? Well, with this interactive capability, they can go ahead and add that additional field and they're able to generate the reports much quicker we have more data transparency internally across the organization as well as externally because we have our performance reporting system called the EHBs, but we also have a system called the Data Warehouse, which is our external-facing um, system. And so we've integrated Tableau in that as well, and there's an integration between our data warehouse and the EHBs. In our data warehouse, we have the GIS capabilities so that we can draw maps and different things like that. And for instance, last year during the different hurricanes, we were able to use our data warehouse GIS capabilities to map out the different states and show which health centers were closed during the hurricanes, which ones were back online. And so we would generate these reports on a daily basis for our HRSA administrators so that uh, we could really see, you know, what was the impact of some of these, these hurricanes and then uh, which health centers were operational. We used it for Puerto Rico. We used it for Houston. I mean, so we are integrating the, the technology. And that's really the key now is not so much that the technology is there, but how is it being used to help make decisions? I, I think the example of at one point, you know, if somebody, if a program office wanted to generate a report, you had to work with the contractor in the IT shop and, and then generate the report. It could take a week. Now it could take just a handful of days. What's the cost savings? Are we able to measure the cost avoidance or the cost savings from a time standpoint, generally speaking, because of the data platform? Well, we can reduce the time by about 40%. And then in terms of cost, you know, we're probably avoiding around a million dollars each year with not having to go and, you know, keep generating these reports because people can generate their own reports. And there's probably a cost to the contractor, too, unfortunately for them, is you're not asking them to do all this work. They can either A, focus on something else, or B, you may not need as much contractor support, so there's potentially cost savings as well. Well, that, and then when you think about moving people to high, uh, what's it called, that high-value type of work as opposed to the lower-value type work, and so it does that as well because you're spending less time trying to generate the reports, and what you really need is the data from the report. Again, I think that's a great point because and one of the administration's goals, as you, as you referred to earlier in the president's management agenda, is to move employees away from doing that kind of use with the, the term, I guess, is low value, but, but kind of the mundane work. Okay, I have to go find the data, make the data call when, uh, when all that can be automated. To put the data platform together, what did this cost HRSA? Do you have a sense of how much you guys have, have invested in the program? Well, we've been working on this probably for the last, Two years. Remember, it was the last time you interviewed me. We had started exploring business intelligence capabilities, but it's more than just you know. Part of it is implementing the technology. Part of it is working with the business to understand how they do business and how to um, improve some of that. So when you look at implementing the technology, you think of oh, okay, it's just about 
implementing this tool. But for us here at HRSA, it's also about evaluating our business processes and business process reengineering. I know for our UDS modernization, there was a component where there was some reengineering on the business processes perspective as well as implementing the technology. So together they came, you, you put those two pieces together, and then you have the transformation. It's not just technology by itself. It's a combination of different things. And from the cost perspective, do you, do you, have you guys put together how much is, has this cost HRSA to, to, to develop? We've had it in pieces. I don't have like a number offhand in terms of what was the overall cost because what we've tried to do is implement the capabilities in pieces over time and then bring in those different pieces together. Going forward, what are some of your priorities for this data analytics platform? What's the next set of capabilities you want to add or how do you want to continue to improve it? We want to put this um, solution in the cloud for better scalability. We want to enhance the platform to support predictive analytics and provide an ability to program leadership to see the impact of their decisions ahead of time. For example, risk monitoring, ability to provide a risk score to an existing grantee or organization across HRSA programs and allow program leadership to make appropriate funding decisions. We would like to automate the statistical analysis to the extent possible using R to reduce the manual effort spent in analyzing the data. We would like to um, integrate machine learning and artificial intelligence models for better insights and foresights, and we want to provide more natural ways for HRSA staff to interact with our platform to generate more insights to reduce the effort. For instance, we want folks to just to be able to use devices such as Alexa or robots for navigating across our different systems so that they can quickly identify the dashboards or metrics that are of interest to them. And so, and then, of course, it's always a continuation of increasing our data literacy across HRSA staff through several training and adoption programs. And then, you know, this uh, tableau that we implemented, and because we um, implemented it at an enterprise, we've even been able to use some of this capabilities for our space management within our buildings. We've been able to use it in some of our financial reporting and different things. And so, folks, now don't look at Tableau as, oh, my God, what is this, as opposed to why don't we do a dashboard? I mean, that's becoming more and more natural for folks to say, you know, I'd like to see a dashboard. And so our executives are now starting to expect that, which is really great. We have to take a break. My guest is Adrian Burton, the Health Resources and Services Administration's CIO in the Department of Health and Human Services. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Adrian Burton, the Health Resources and Services Administration CIO in the Department of Health and Human Services. You brought up training a couple times, and I think that is difficult because you got to get people to change the way they work. And the change management piece we always talk about, it's never the technology, it's the culture. We, we've heard that time and again over the last you know, couple of decades. How did you guys go about training to get people used to this new approach and to use all the tools that are available to them? Well, we have a, a pretty robust training program um, at HRSA, but it's really what we've done is we've done it in different ways. You know, some of the folks that originally wanted to use the business intelligence capability, and then once folks hear about it, then they want to use the technology as well. And then in some instances, we just demonstrate the capabilities to our senior management. I'm sure they go back to their programs and say, yeah, I saw this dashboard for one part of the organization. Why don't we have a dashboard? And so what we found is an explosion of – 
different dashboards. We started with the Bureau of Primary Health Care. We now have the HIV and AIDS Bureau that said, hey, I want to do some dashboards too. And that's when we'll have the discussion about, okay, well, we already have this set up. We want you to go this route and that particular route, as opposed to trying to implement a new BI tool and bring in a different contractor and starting from scratch as opposed to leveraging what we already have. So I think that it's really exciting to see these ideas and then the quick implementation of, of, of some of these visions that the different bureaus have in terms of how they look at their data. I know you mentioned that this has been in process for two years. Are you surprised by the quick uptake that it seems like HRSA and all the program offices have, have taken to this analytics platform? I'm excited to see it, actually. And I'm excited when people say, you know, when they talk about using the technology and they don't mention IT in it at all, which is great because we don't, the business is driving the technology as opposed to the technology driving the business. So when I heard about our folks using it for space management, I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. I'm glad. And that they were able to do that on themselves with just, uh, you know, the folks that manage um, space management. They didn't need to, quote, unquote, come to IT and generate a dashboard. They were able to use that capability on their own, which is what this is really about, is putting the capability into the hands of the user. It's not about technology. It's about you know, providing the capabilities to folks. Speaking of that, have you shared this with others around HHS? Are you looking to say, hey, if we can do this, this may be good for pick pick your bureau within HHS, uh, CDC, FDA, whomever. Have you started having those conversations with your fellow CIOs and, and others? Yes. As a matter of fact, I was talking to the HHS CIO, Beth Killerin, and we were, she's talking about having a, like a tech day with the technology that's implemented in the different operating divisions across HHS to share information. I was sharing information just the other day with three other operating divisions in this um, building about some of the capabilities. So there's a lot of collaboration and sharing that's going on. Um, We're developing a catalog about different capabilities that exist across the different optives to make that readily available so that folks can reach out and share information. I'll give you an example of how the sharing goes on. Some of the business folks and uh, the HR folks in HRSA said, well, we want to implement a PMAP system. We want to automate it with SharePoint workflows. And I knew that NIH had an electronic PMAP system, so we reached out to them. We're able to deploy that capability in six months, and that was really, you know, some working out some different adjustments that needed to be made to support HRSA's PMAP process. And um, anyway, that went really well. It was a win-win for everyone because we were able to provide that technology to our users in a, you know, more rapid pace. And this takes us back to the very beginning of our conversation. The reason why we're talking in many ways is because you guys won a, a very prestigious award from the Association Act, IAC, uh, the Igniting Innovation. I know it's a great honor, so I'm going to get in front of your answer, but give me a sense of what is the recognition that you guys receive from Act IAC and your fellow government and industry uh, executives. G- give me a sense of, of what, it's, what does this mean for the program and, and wh- how is it going to kind of continue to push you guys down the path, say, hey, we know we're going in the right direction, we're doing good things. Give me a sense of, of, of this award. I mean, the ACT-IAC award and the win first place was 
really exciting from a HRSA perspective and an HHS perspective because we went down and we had a booth and uh, there were 40 different teams and we were a team from HHS. So we represent HHS, we represent HRSA, we represent the people that we serve. And so it's really exciting for our HRSA administrator because he's been pushing innovation for us and to actually see the recognition with that ACT IACT award is just really exciting for us. I think it's exciting for our programs because they use the system every day and it's transforming how they do business and that's you know what's important. It's exciting for my IT folks because they're just so excited to see the impact and the health outcomes. They're just excited about, oh my gosh, this this vision that we had a couple years ago, we're now starting to see the impact and they're just really super excited about this. And you know when with something like this it's just a real collaboration between so many different pieces of the organization, our programs, because they get what they want, our IT people, because they were able to implement some really cool technology. In fact, we have started implementing Alexa in our electronic handbook system as a pilot, and so they're just really, you know, tickled about that capability. You know, it takes a village to do this. Our budget people get involved, our contract people and our industry partners. We REI was a contractor that worked with us on that, and we had a great partnership to roll out that capability. And, you know, it's nice to actually present at some place like ACT-IAC because, one, people can see some of the great things that HRSA is doing because I think they know our programs, but they don't necessarily relate it to HRSA as an organization and that we're part of HHS. So I'm glad we were able to um, share this with the whole entire IT community across government so that they can, you know, learn or reach out to us about how we did it. And, you know, it's just a really um, proud moment for HRSA. We, we say, you know, pound sign, HRSA proud. Well, you have a lot of reasons to be proud. You guys are doing some great work, and, and sometimes it just takes those little wins, whether it's a recognition in, from a group of your peers or just understanding that you're transforming the way HRSA does business that gets people motivated and keeps them, uh, obviously, uh, proud of, of the work they do. So congratulations again, and uh, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. My guest has been Adrian Burton, the Health Resources and Services Administration CIO and Director of the Office of IT in the Department of Health and Human Services. Adrian, uh, there's so much more to talk about, but uh, unfortunately we're out of time, so we will catch up with you again soon. Thanks, Jason. It's always great to talk to you. We have to take a break. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this part of the show, I play an excerpt of a panel I moderated at the recent HARC Emerging Technologies Conference. The panelists include Justin Herman, the leader of GSA's Emerging Citizen Technology Program, Carol LaPointe, a senior fellow at the Georgetown University's Beak Center for Social Impact and Innovation. Emerging technology is not emerging, it has already arrived. It is being looked at for IT modernization today. It is coming out of R&D and it is going into the hands of program managers that you don't think of your, as your emerging technology technologists. These are people that might not even know how to code, but they sure as hell know the problems in their organizations. And they know that there's more being left on the table and they want to do something about it. So a lot of times it's not just focusing on the technology itself because with enough pizzas, six packs and code red Mountain Dew on a weekend, our coders can pretty much do anything. But what we've got to do is back up and look at the processes themselves. How are we addressing the policies, the workforce, um, 
all the ancillary things that are representative and will make it not just you have a chief technology officer, you have a CIO, you have a somebody, a chief data officer, and then boom, you've got it covered. This takes literacy across our organizations for people who did not see themselves as stakeholders, uh, knowing that they're becoming stakeholders. One of the things, and I, and I can tell you, we, we can deep dive in some things later, um, but our program, what we've tried to do is we started, we saw this stuff coming because we served as an advisor to individual government agencies. That's how back when people were still talking about this five years in the future, GSA knew this was now because you might not read about a press release, you might not see it on a panel, but we knew it was happening. So then we started developing government-wide programs like Jennifer, raise your hand, venture capital, venture uh, capital group. Uh, we have multiple things, a great partnership with Michelle White's team over there from FAST. And we create these government programs to let people in. But it's not just who you think are your emerging tech people. In fact, more people are signing up and asking for these services than we can keep up with the demand right now. So that is why we have to full scale build a better new infrastructure for interagency management of what we call emerging technology, but in reality is the answer to how your teams will do more with less. And that does include robotic process automation. People talk, for instance, about GSA robotic process automation as if it's one thing or one team. It is many teams, it is many organizations. There is no area of GSA internally that's not looking at this, whether the public building service, acquisition services, technology transformation service. We have an RPA governance board within GSA, cutting across the agency. That's really how we need to approach these things, and this is the type of thing we hope to work with agencies uh, and share with them on. All right, Justin, my one logical follow-up, of course, is when you talk about, can you talk a little bit more about the RPA Governance Board? You talk about it's not one part of GSA that is not looking at it, but what is the Governance Board trying to do? Is it standards? Is it, is it what? Yes. In fact, most things that you would have said after that, if you continued uh, the dot, 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 because uh, specifically, again, it's like the same thing when we talk about like GSA blockchain or GSA AI. You, people think it's one thing or one program, when in reality, these things are spreading across agencies. There's a governance board for robotic process automation at GSA because there's multiple successful pilots throughout the organization on robotic process automation. So you can't just put it in the hands of one person and call it a day. We needed to make sure that there's a stakeholder community of different skill sets, different backgrounds, different, different grades and levels in the organization, because ultimately, this is something that you don't have to be a coder. You just have to see and, and what the problem is. And I'll, I'll caveat this with a warning, though. You can, like RPA, definitely can speed things up and make it more efficient. But if you have a crappy process and you put RPA or any emerging tech on top of it, you just have a faster, crappy <laughs> process. Right. Look what Elon Musk just did. Tesla announced, and I was talking with Jennifer briefly before this, that he said, you know, they weren't making the mark of Tesla for the quarter, so they're actually reintroducing humans into the process that they had automated. RPA is not replacing people with machines. It's taking the machines out of the humans and freeing your people up to do what they do best. And if we're not looking at it that way and your organization is in, it, it might be missing the boat right now. But that's okay because the boat's not leaving without you. Now, this crowd probably knows this. Uh, RPA is not a robot who's sitting at the computer keyboarding. It is a piece of software that is just taking mundane, arduous processes and... and, and yeah, it's not a large machine yes. with strong metal hands that are going to take <laughs> away our medicine and break our hands. Now, that'd be awesome if one day I could walk into GSA and see a bunch of robots walking around. That used to be Justin Herman, but... I, I don't know. I've seen people on the second floor. There you go. All right. <laughs>
Let's uh, let's jump over to, to uh, uh, Dr. Cara Lapointe from. Uh, if anybody Josh works on the Dr. second floor of GSA, please forgive me <laughs> for that. Carla Point from Georgetown, take it away. So my name is Carla Point. I work at Georgetown University where I work on blockchain technologies for social impact. So basically all the things you can think of to do with blockchain that are not cryptocurrencies, digital identity, voting, land registries, the list goes on and on. But I just retired last year from over 20 years as a naval officer. I was an engineering duty officer and spent most of my career trying to get the Navy to better adopt autonomous and unmanned technologies. So a lot of these topics are near and dear to my heart. And I love to hear Justin talk because I always tell people the, the thing about technology they don't know is that the reason the government has a hard time leveraging technology has nothing to do with the technology itself. Right? I come at technology from what I call a thoughtful development or ecosystem approach. It's all the things around technology that are the challenges we really have to deal with. And if you look at how much attention and resources we put towards developing the, um, the innovative and emerging technologies themselves versus all those more mundane but ultimately really, really important things around the technology, we spend not way too much on the technology itself compared to what we're spending on all those other things. I was an acquisition professional for the government. Our acquisition processes, right, and I know there's been a lot of attention paid to them, but it's not just the laws, right? Congress has bent over backwards to try to come up with laws and ways that we can more efficiently adopt innovative technologies. But there's also just the culture of the organization at every level and in terms of how we do all these processes, how we buy things, how we are very traditionally stovepiped stove in the government in terms of all these different types of things we have to do. We have our contract professionals, we have our technologists, we have our, our operators, we have our requirements folks. You know, we have all these different stovepipes. And I think Justin really hit the most important fact. When we're talking about autonomy, we're talking about artificial intelligence, automation, this isn't an incremental technology that just affects one thing. It affects everything, and it affects every piece of the organization. So when you have a huge organization, like the US government, it's really hard to deal with something that is gonna change everything, right? In the military, I was talking about you know, autonomous systems, the Navy, I worked for an office called the Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Unmanned Systems. We focused on unmanned. And I always say the unmanned is not the secret sauce of it, right? But we look at unmanned because we like things we can touch and feel. If you think about how the government and how the Navy has traditionally um, assessed in terms of you know, how potent is one of our capabilities. Okay, how big are our ships? What weapons does it have on board? What vehicles does it have on board? How fast can it go? How far can it go, right? It's all things you can touch and feel and understand. Right? When it comes to autonomy, you can't touch it and feel it and understand it in quite that way. Right? How transformational is it when you can get the power of this amazing amount of data that is available around the world today, if you can leverage the power of that data at machine speed for our sailors and soldiers and airmen and marines around the world, that would be incredibly powerful but a lot of people have to be part of that transformation to get us from here to there. So I just wanna to highlight the fact that technology is really about the ecosystem around the technology and how it affects everything else and every part of the organization. So let me just ask the one follow-up because as you were describing it, I think you, you've hit upon a theme that we've heard time and again when we get to technology is, it's never the technology, it's the people, it's the process. So how do you change the people in the process if the technology is not the issue? Meaning, 
from your experience in the Navy or, or as you teach these topics, talk about block research and talk about blockchain, how do you see people changing the, that part of the equation that's the hardest part to change? It is the hardest part. So actually what I've been doing at Georgetown is building something called the Blockchain Ethical Design Framework. And it's really giving a tool to people who are decision makers around blockchain technology, but it's something that we can expand to other emerging technologies to say, okay, how do you go about this? How do you go about understanding and designing for all the things around the technology, right? The, the ecosystem of technology. Technology does not operate in isolation. It interacts with people. It interacts with communities and organizations, with existing infrastructure, be that technology, be that other processes. The financing mechanisms are critical. I think we've seen that with a lot of the debates over Facebook recently, is that you know what is driving some of the issues around the privacy issues? It's the financing mechanisms. You can't leave any of these pieces out of the equation. So the tool that we are building around blockchain is what I call kind of an, an amped up systems engineering process to go through and say, hey, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Right? Because with emerging technologies, you also want to, you often want to find a problem that you can use your new technology for. But what is the problem you're trying to solve? What is the outcome you're trying to achieve? What is your ethical approach? Right? I loved how the congressman said what Congress job is to take American values and turn into legislation. Technology has values. Whether or not you think it has values, it has values. So being very deliberate and thoughtful about understanding what values you are baking into that technology or is already baked into technologies that you want to leverage is very important. And then do an ecosystem assessment. Understand the users. Understand the infrastructure, the communities. Do a really robust process to understand all the different ways this technology is going to interact with everything around it. And you can't predict everything, but if you don't even try to understand what the consequences of the technology, other than just what you're trying to go for, are, you're going to have a lot of unintended consequences, right? And then you move into a decision process. For blockchain, we've come to kind of six key pillars in terms of governance, right? It's all about the rules. So who creates the rules, right? In terms of identity, digital identity, our, our identities are largely digital today, and they're not in any one place. They're little bits that are controlled in a lot of different places. So understanding that, understanding how information is authenticated and verified, right? Whenever you're taking the analog world and putting it into a digital world, you have to verify it. And you know, as Justin said, I think very well, you're not going to solve an analog problem just by digitizing it, right? But then ownership over information. You know, that's what one of the big debates today is who gets to own your data? Who gets to monetize it? Access. Can you even access your data? Can you control your own data? And then security, right? So the long answer to your short question is the way you do this is you actually create tools to help people who are trying to develop and integrate this technology to understand the entire ecosystem and take positive action when they are creating and integrating the technology. That's all the time we have for today. You just heard an excerpt of a panel I moderated at the recent HRC Emerging Technologies Conference. The panelists included Justin Herman, the leader of GSA's Emerging Citizen Technology Program, Kara LaPointe, a senior fellow at Georgetown University's Beak Center for Social Impact and Innovation. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes.